can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. This is a special bonus episode of The Front about a story we're publishing right now. It's a ripper. We're crowning the best town in Australia. And we're going to dig into what we think makes it and a stack of other towns really special. In a moment, I'll be joined by The Australian's Bernard Salt. He's our columnist and resident demographics expert. He's crunched the census numbers to come up with the list. Bernard's also got some theories about where the avocado toast generation wants to live and why. I've been here my whole life and it's quite a small town, but yeah, like it is a beautiful place. It's definitely just grown over the probably the last decade. Definitely an increase in businesses, but yeah, it's an awesome place to be. There's beautiful beaches and plenty of schools, and so it has a one-stop shop for everything. There's a town on the coast with a great surf break, a stack of fantastic cafes, a fresh breeze coming off the ocean, and a famous tourist attraction. That's the famous blowhole at Kiama on the New South Wales south coast, 120 kilometres out of Sydney. Today, the Australians crowning it Australia's top town, after our writer Bernard Salt dug deep into the census figures to find towns that stood out on 10 metrics. Things like above average income and low unemployment, and also a diverse population with lots of people born overseas, and some signs that people care about each other, like volunteering. Kiama's number one, but Bernard's come up with 36 towns around the country that are superb to live in, where the people are happy and the living is good. What I liked about this process was that by applying all of these metrics and qualifiers and hurdles to the universe of Australian towns, there's 1,800 of them, I thought, well, let's hit them with 10 metrics. No town's going to survive this, but just Kiama gets through to the end. And when I looked at Kiama and the other example towns, what struck me immediately was, actually, this makes sense. It is a good technique to methodically evaluate in a dispassionate metric sort of way. It has above average entrepreneurship. It has below average unemployment. It has a higher than average income. It has a higher proportion of volunteers than average. It has a higher proportion of people who give care to a family member than is usual. It has a low level of long-term health conditions. One really important thing Bernard wanted to use to assess towns is the way families get along with each other. Do they treat each other with respect? Are they happy? That sounds like something the census wouldn't be able to tell us, but it can give us some clues. I measured the average contribution to domestic housework. Now, this is both inside and outside of the home. When you have a high proportion, above average proportion by this measure, you can really only get that when both parties cooperate. It's not the female doing inside stuff. It's not the male doing outside stuff. That number can only be high when there was cooperation. This is a caring, cooperative, highly skilled highly entrepreneurial, well-to-do community that pops up 
in a sea change area about an hour and a half south of Sydney. Absolutely perfect. It ticks all the buttons. And you can start to theorise and say, well, you know, these towns, these quintessential lifestyle towns, they're either on the coast or just in the tree change zone. They're accessible to a capital city. And when you put all that together, yeah, they all meet the same criteria. All right, she's a 10, but she's a parking ranger. <laughs> Below zero, like minus 40. <laughs> That's comedy duo Jack Ford and Matt Steele. They're a pair of tradies who live in Kayama with their mates and they've turned making funny videos about their lives into a booming influencer business. They call themselves the Inspired Unemployed and they've got 3.2 million followers on Instagram and TikTok and even more on Facebook. They've been on the cover of GQ magazine and they've been hired by brands like Fendi and Louis Vuitton to model for them. They're making a lot of money, but their mates, who we also see in the videos, aren't famous influencers. They're just blokes living in Kayama, surfing, working, cycling, doing silly dances. It all seems pretty great. Let me be your ruler. Ruler, you can call me Queen B. And baby, I'll rule. I'll rule. I'll rule. I'll rule. Let me live that fantasy. Tell me about affluence, Bernard, because I think some of our listeners might say you can have many of those things, stable relationships where both partners help each other out at home, a high degree of volunteering and caring in communities where incomes may not necessarily be high. Why is affluence an important measure for you? And what do you say about that proposition that it's not just about money? The measure here, the statistical measure here is average income. It must be above the average for all of the towns, about 800 towns with between 1,000 and 50,000 people. I have excluded capital cities from the average process. So you're not comparing Kayama with above average for Sydney, which has a higher average. All I've said is it just needs to be above average. It can be just $1 above average or $20,000 above average. So I don't see this as being skewed. I was very, very conscious about this because I am experienced in country towns. You need to be have sufficient funds. So above average income by country town standards, above average educational standards, high levels of university degree, but also high levels of technical training. So above average university degree, above average trade training, above average income. You've got to have enough money to do what you want to do. But I love to see towns bring out this feature of towns being very caring and very supportive and very cooperative. We, we need to ask a question about sporting participation at the next census, and then I'll have all the metrics you need to measure country towns. Yeah, why is sport important? Well, sport is the basis upon which country towns exist. They've all got a football field and cricket oval and whatever, netball courts. It's the basis upon which there is social functions or connectivity, different groups from different religious groups or whatever, all come together for sporting purposes. And, you know, there's a lot of strong intertown rivalry and so forth. You've got to live it to understand it. It's very, very important. Coming up, what about the avocado toast generation? We'll have more from Bernard Salt in just a moment. 
I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts. Bernard Salt is famous for a column he wrote for The Australian back in 2016 about the struggles of young people to buy a home. He made fun of the attitudes of boomers, saying they thought young Australians were out at cafes eating $22 plates of avocado toast, not saving their cash. The reaction went global. I think it's just really important to no longer view millennials as just whining kids. We're working really hard to do better than our parents. It's time to confront an old myth. Could you really save up a house deposit if you cut out small luxuries like avocado on toast? It was widely misinterpreted as Bernard endorsing the avocado toast crack. But really, he was pointing out that it's harder than it looks to get into the housing market. One of the columns you've written for The Australian which made a big splash was uh, mocking the boomer perception of young people that they were too busy spending their money on avocado toast to save money for a home. Many of the people who have moved during and post the pandemic to find somewhere to buy are that avocado toast generation. What have you learned about them in looking at these census figures? Well, I, I do think that the millennial generation coming out of the pandemic are actually moving to a different stage of the life cycle. The oldest millennial is now 41, in fact, born in 1982 or so. And I think towards your late 30s, you go through a change in the life cycle. There's a gateway. You're partnered up. You have one or two or three kids. Your partner's gone back into the workforce. You're moving up in terms of your career or starting a business or something like that. And all of a sudden, that inner city lifestyle doesn't quite do it for you anymore. You want three bedrooms, two bathrooms, front garden, a backyard and a Zoom room. And with low interest rates, as there were at the time of the census, then I think a lot of that generation bit the bullet and actually moved either within the major capital cities and maybe out to the suburbs or certainly to the uh, lifestyle zone. There could well be a significant influx of millennials into this part of the world and living the lifestyle, telecommuting, uh, if you like. Um, you know, what, what I have learned is that Australians are obsessed with lifestyle, up the coast, down the coast, sea change, tree change, and now the added secret ingredient of work from home. Yes, I'll have all of that and I'll go down the case. Thank you very much. There are some small communities where the long-time locals feel that the advent of the laptop class arriving from the big cities have hollowed out the town and so that people who have manual jobs or who are nurses or teachers can't afford to buy anymore in, in some of these communities. What do you think about that balance? How do we maintain the d- demographic mix within towns that are so lovely that everyone wants to live there? Well, this process of um, the well-to-do people coming to a town and snapping up properties, you can see it right around the coast in Australia, I come across it a lot. It's, um, call it the, uh, the Manhattan effect. This is the idea that Manhattan Island is so well-to-do that the people actually make the town run have to commute in from outside. 
And I do think that we need to be very, very careful about this so that, I mean, from my point of view, communities are successful when they are demographically diverse. One of the metrics was that you had to have above average overseas-born population to ensure that measure of, of diversity. I don't think any community around Australia has really solved this issue. And, you know, whether it's the south coast of New South Wales or the Ballerine Peninsula in Victoria or the southwest coast of Western Australia, all of those communities are struggling with this particular issue. And I actually don't know what the answer is, but you can see it writ large in these figures. And you go to the towns, you know, you walk up Hastings Street, Noosa, and, you know, every second shop will have, you know, staff wanted or whatever. But then the staff will say, well, how do I live in this town? And so there needs to be a more muscular, proactive sense of ensuring that everyone gets the opportunity to live within a community if they wish. Okay, you don't get the beach view type real estate, but there must be a place for everyone. And I think that that fits the Australian ideal. Everyone gets a shot. Everyone gets a go. No one is excluded from a community. That's kind of where we need to get to. If anyone has any ideas about how we actually deliver that in a practical sense, then, yeah, send me a message. So what are the other towns on the list? In the Northern Territory, there's Nullanboy and in WA, Margaret River's on the list. What I love about the Margaret River region and my township of Margaret River is the people. It's home to one of the oldest living civilizations in the world. There's access to Indigenous landscape and Indigenous educators. There's Lagana in the Tasmanian winemaking regions and in Victoria, the old gold mining town of Bright with glorious views of the Australian Alps all around. I've been driving around Bright and Surrounds for the last 15 years or as long as I can remember and these have got to be some of the best roads in Australia. Not only are they interesting and adventurous but they'll take you to some of the most incredible views and amazing destinations. You can read the full list right now at theaustralian.com.au and find out if your town made the cut. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts.